from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, you know, where, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello, welcome to Doing the Time Show. I'm Peter. Um, and this is Marissa. Marissa and yeah. this is the Doing Time Show, as Peter said. And this is 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. And first up on the show, we have a recording. And I wanted to, we wanted to actually thank Vivian Langford from Beyond Zero who prepared this recording and has um, contributed to the Doing Time show. So thank you so much, Vivian, for helping out and contributing, which is lovely. Now, this recording coming up is a Greens event in Redfern in New South Wales. And there's an election in Wentworth and the Greens candidate there is Dominic Wakanek. And he's the Indigenous leader who has been in local government for years. And the evening was to support Lydia's re-election in the November Victorian election. And there's a couple of speakers, and I'm sure that they'll be introduced, but just in case, um, I'll talk about, I'll just quickly introduce the speakers. So Lydia speaks about her experience in Parliament where the Victorian government refused to acknowledge sovereignty. She talks about the Black Greens, a new group within the Greens. And then she's in conversation with Jenny Ling, MP for Newtown, and they cover juveniles in detention and vicious new scheme called Suspect Target Management Plan. Now, the Suspect Target Management Plan was actually covered last week um, on the Doing Time show, and you can actually have a look at the podcast there and have a look at, at that material. And finally, the Greens were calling for all juveniles not committed who have not committed violent crimes to be released immediately as a way of redressing the entrenched wrongs in the system. And finally, Lydia talks about getting a treaty which will end the war on Aboriginal people. It needs to be clan-based so every family can contribute. So I thought I'd just give a little bit of a summary as to what was covered on the recording, just so that you can follow that quite easily. And then after that, we've got Vicky Roach. And Vicky Roach is a fantastic poet and an Aboriginal activist. And we've been um, interviewing Vicky quite a lot on the show. And she is going to be talking about sovereignty. It's approximately 4.03. And we'll be um, putting the recording on shortly. We're painting Lydia as the... Only Aboriginal voice of the Victorian Parliament is a really key reason why we decided to invite Lydia to come here to New South Wales to see if we could support her campaign. 
There's so much for her to do over the next four years, and the Victorian state election is a lot closer than the New South Wales state election. The Victorian state election is on the 24th of November, so I encourage all of you to do what you can to support Lydia, to send uh, not only your best wishes, but your support financially to support <coughs> Lydia and her re-election campaign. Yesterday I was in Parliament and it was actually the last day of, of Parliament and I connected with a few <laughs> you know, this liberal lady who just retired yesterday. She cuddled me and she said, I'm so proud of you, I'm so glad you're in here. And I just thought, wow, when you say that, you know, what do you vote for our sovereignty? <laughs> demoralising um, part of my experience so far being in Parliament is to fight for sovereignty or, to, well, it's not, we're not fighting for sovereignty because we've never given up our sovereignty. We've never ceded sovereignty. We've had 230 years of resistance, which we can prove we've resisted the whole time. So when the war was, when the war came to town 230 years ago, it hasn't ended still a war against my people. And to have to request that the Victorian Parliament acknowledge our sovereignty as part of a treaty process, because treaties are between two sovereigns, that was quite a discussion and quite a negotiation. And we were told categorically that um, the, the Labor government particularly weren't going to acknowledge our sovereignty because they didn't have sovereignty. And I said in that negotiation, well, if you don't have sovereignty and we have sovereignty, what are we doing about treaty plan? That's between two sovereigns. And what is this? Which I still have an answer to this day. But to be in the chamber and have the whole 80 plus MPs, except for the poor old three Greens that sit in there, vote down, Acknowledging our sovereignty as part of the treaty process was, was the most demoralising. The second most demoralising was the second vote that went to the floor and that was um, a place for our elders in the legislation. And to see that was, um, yeah, it was hard. And then to make a decision on whether, you, whether we were going to pass the treaty was even harder. Because what happened the day before that vote went down was 300 um, Creator Spirit Eagles were poisoned on my country. And we're talking massive sea eagles that were poisoned. And I felt that that was a, a message to me to say, don't vote, just don't vote for it. Um, so I. I went into the chamber and, and we had a, a discussion about what we were going to do and I didn't feel, it didn't feel right um, after, you know, we just had our sovereignty knocked out, we had our elders knocked out, had 300 seeds poisoned. Um, and that was probably the only time I've ever felt compromised. And I knew that I'd have to compromise as a politician um, and I've always said I'm going to sell my people out, but at that moment I felt that, that, that I've sold something. But at the same time, I thought if we pass it, then we have to fight so hard to keep them honest and make it right. And that's what we've been doing ever since. 
and we've been campaigning really hard for a plan-based treaty and a plan-based treaty ultimately is to ensure that every family is around the table and you know if you, if you know if you know anything about Aboriginal politics and if you can survive Aboriginal politics then you can survive anything <laughs> but the number one rule is you don't leave anybody out you make sure every family has a say and you make sure every family has the right to participate. It's their self-determining right. And that doesn't happen. And that's why, you know, things like native title have been put in place to wedge us and divide us and make us fool amongst ourselves while our land gets ripped to pieces and our people get imprisoned and our children get taken away. We're blowing each other. It's a, it's a beautiful, you know, it's the art of war. It's, it's a very good strategy to divide a people. And we have to realise that and we have to fight against it. When you have parties that think they know blackfellas and they talk about us like they, they're our best mates mm -hmm. and there's a blackfella actually standing there watching them eyeballing them like, no, you have no idea what you're talking about. You don't know, you haven't lived it and you're only listening to the bureaucrats. You actually haven't been out to a community and you haven't seen how much our people are struggling. Um, it's made a difference and... People are a bit more careful about what they say in that place. And when I make a speech, you know, I, I check in with my, my elders and I check in with people to make sure that I'm saying the right thing and I have permission to say that I don't go in there blindly and I don't represent all Aboriginal people. I, rep I represent the Greens and I represent my family and, and the people that, um, you know, the elders that support me to, and allow me to have that voice. And um, I've been really lucky to be part of setting up the Black Greens um, at my second Greens meeting, uh, which was a national conference in Alice Springs before I was elected. And the Black Greens are a movement um, within a movement and we're, we're growing and we've almost got every state covered and we set the, you know, we set the policy for um, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander peoples because we know, we know what affects us. So we're not um, dictated to by our party, it's, it's grassroots democracy which is in line with how we work as Aboriginal people. And I think, you know, Black Greens is, is going to grow and grow. And um, I've, you know, I had a call yesterday before I came from um, some people that belong to a different party, or used to belong to a different party who know about the Black Greens who live in New South Wales and are really interested in having a conversation. So I think to get more Aboriginal people into Parliament, but Dominic running in, in Wentworth, um, that's what's going to make a difference. We need to join this fight and we need to do it in a way that Aboriginal people are leading it. And I think you heard that from, from Arnie Ann and it's something that I've been certainly reminding the environmental movement who's been moving along for, for a long time without Aboriginal people leading in that space. I've experienced that in Victoria where, um, you know, 
there's been environmental movements trying to save the forest for a long time. But they've never properly consulted with Aboriginal people about that. So there's one thing that I want to change in my time, and that is to bring the environmental movement together with the First People and fight the fight together because, you know, it, it just won't work any other way. Yeah. So, thank you for having me. I think that most of us in this room, you and I, would rather be focused on issues around social justice, around the need for climate action, around the need for the big issues that we actually give a shit about. And instead what we've seen is just a whole lot of bullshit infighting and crap that has seriously been so problematic. Can you tell us why you decided to join the Greens and can you tell us what hope you hold that makes you keep wanting to keep doing what you're doing and feel inspired? Oh, yes. Um, but before I do, I really have to thank and Nani Jenny. Um, who've been on, uh, on this journey with me. Um, why politics? I suppose I was born into politics. Every black fellow in this country is born into politics. We're <coughs> born political because we always have to justify ourselves and we always have to fight for our rights as, as um, human beings in our own country. So, um, Politics is, is been, has been in my family's life and my life, and um, you know I've I've been protesting since I was five, and I now have a five-year-old granddaughter. So to have that um, political upbringing and that voice, um, I suppose I was just getting frustrated with being on the outside and um, I've worked in, you know, I've worked for, um, say, last job I had was the Municipal Association of Victoria, which is the peak body for local government. And my job was to go around to the 79 councils in Victoria and educate them on why they need to work with Aboriginal people. And I changed some um, really racist views of white middle-aged men and when I saw what I could do, I realised that I, you know, I could probably um, do a whole lot more. And I had an opportunity to um, run with the Greens. I, I actually planned to run for three seats just to get the experience and get to know the Greens a bit more. Um, I didn't expect to be pre-selected for Northgate and I didn't expect to win Northgate. So um, to have, you know, I feel that there's a higher power that, that put me there and that's a higher power of my ancestors that um, ensures that I'm true to my values. So that leads nicely into the to the next question, which is we are both relatively new MPs. You are very new, less than a year as an MP. We share some other things in common. We're both not white men. <laughs> we're both in our 40s. Uh, we're both mothers. Um, and, you know, for one of wanting to brag for a little moment, we both share the fact that we hold 45% of the primary vote in each of our seats. <laughs> you haven't been an MP for long. I wonder if you could talk about 
about how you found it being in the chamber of the Victorian Parliament. Like that is a, you know, like politics and community activism is not new to you, but being in that chamber is like nothing else. How did you find it? And do you feel like, you know, can you tell us an anecdote or a story about something that's happening there about how you've been able to affect some change? And I've just been, I've just been given a platform to uh, have that voice in, a, in apparently a higher place. And when I go around Parliament and talk to people and give them tours, I talk about all the stolen gold that Parliament has, in particularly the library, and places like that. And they're like, stolen gold? How is it stolen? It comes from Sovereign Hill. I said, well, whose land is Sovereign Hill on? <laughs> you think they got permission from the traditional owners to take that gold? I think one of the things that has stood out for me, I suppose, is that um, at the very beginning of every new parliament week, there's a um, there's always a prayer and there's always an acknowledgement to country. And what happens is the, the prayer's done, everybody stands for the prayer and everyone's respectful and then everyone sits down. And while everyone's sitting down, they're talking and rustling their papers while the acknowledgement to country's happening. So I just thought, what's the point of that? So I I just stood. I just continued to stand and then my, my colleagues stood with me. And now everybody in Parliament stands for the acknowledgement. Talk about what is next, where are we at, where do you see that going? But also, you know, we have a federal election coming up, we have a New South Wales election coming up, there is, you know, it's beyond just the Victorian election. Give us a bit of a sense of where you see that going next. What do you what do you feel like is there and, and I guess where do you think people should be putting their efforts that are in this room that are allies to be able to help? I think that our nation has a mental health problem. I think that you know, there's, there's no identity of, of the country that we all live in. Well, there is, but it's being denied. And, you know, it's, it is like a mental health problem where you actually don't... It, the only way to heal from that is to acknowledge that you've got that. And I think um, this country really struggles with its identity and it denies its true history. And I think that a treaty process enables that truth-telling to occur and that connection and that identity to, to come out. So I think that to have, to start talking about the true history, to start acknowledging the frontier wars and understanding, you know, it's not just about an, an acknowledgement to country. You know, what, is, what are the injustices that are going on in your community where you love, where you live? Is it all just a white history that continues to be told I think that's that's where we're at and I think that a treaty is really important. It's the end of the war on our people and it's a peacemaking agreement that all states and territories need to be talking about and not run by bureaucrats and not run by a government. It needs to be run by the people. And when I talk to people in Northcote, particularly non-Aboriginal people, I ask them, what do you want to see in a treaty? It's not just a black thing. You have to want this too. If you don't start talking about it, then the government will make decisions for what you want. And we know that's not always going to be in the best interest of us all. So I think treaty is really important as long as it's done right and as long as that it's done equally. So our people need to be at the table in a, in, and have equal 
say and have equal opportunity. At the moment, we're struggling to survive in our communities. So how can we sit and negotiate equally? That would be unconscionable to sit down and negotiate when we're struggling to survive. So our people, our clans, our families, we need to heal. We need this country to acknowledge that that the frontiers actually occurred and we need that acknowledged not just on you know, Anzac Day is one thing, but there was a war that happened here 230 years ago. We need to acknowledge the first war that happened on these shores. And that's part of our healing that we can do together and that's part of having an identity. You talk about that and I just thought it's worth in a context of New South Wales to just let everyone know I've just finished being on an um, inquiry into diversionary programs into um, juvenile justice. And it's just, I mean, everybody knows the statistics of how many Aboriginal young people are inside and connected with our juvenile justice system. And there is just no excuse. And I was really pleased to be able to join my Greens colleague, David Chubridge, for a, a commitment that was made um, in one of the rooms in the New South Wales Parliament that we wanted to see every Aboriginal person that was in prison for a non-violent crime to be immediately released to address the institutional racism that had found themselves there. And, I've got to share it because I want everyone in this room to know there's this crazy program called the Suspect Target Management Plan, which is a New South Wales police initiative, and you'd know how I feel about some of the New South Wales police initiatives, uh, that puts people that have not done anything wrong that they perceive may be in the future a suspect on a watch and then do things to sort of, you know, let's be frank about it, bully them harass them, target them, such that they then get frustrated, do things and lo and behold, lash out and then lo and behold, find themselves caught up in the criminal justice system. We had the head of one of the senior folks in the New South Wales Police come and talk to us about this as part of the inquiry. And at one point I asked and I said to him, how many Aboriginal versus non-Aboriginal people are on the STMP program? And he said, oh, it's about 50-50. And I was like, we're not talking about women. Like, that is a completely outrageous stat, but his brain worked that was like 50-50. That sounds fair and equal. And it was just truly phenomenal in terms of the mindset and where it's at. I want to say that because I want you all to keep that in mind and be outraged about that beyond what we're chatting about here. What's happening is young kids that are below the age of criminal responsibility because they're hanging out with their older brothers and all the siblings, it means they're coming into contact with the criminal justice system way too early and the best way to indicate whether or not you're going to connect in with the juvenile justice when you're young. It's just outrageous. I totally agree. So, avert nationalism freaks me out, right? The whole Aussie, 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 oi, oi, oi kind of thing really freaks me out. Um... Now, obviously, that's because I don't understand it. I was born in this country, but people have yelled out to me things about go back to where you come from. People have indicated and constantly asked me where I was born, and when I say Adelaide, they don't believe and say, but where were you really born? (laughs) Meaning, what's your heritage? Well, for those that don't know, like my dad was born in um, Malaysia. My grandparents were, um, his side of the family was born in China. I was born in um, Adelaide, and my mum's family uh, is from what I like to call very working class Victoria. I always feel really strange about a huge respect for Aboriginal people in this country as the owners of this land, but at the same time, 
I feel that kind of goes weird with this sense of nationalism. And I, I put it out there because I'm genuinely interested to hear your thoughts on those things. I think that, you know, people in this country are, are just they're looking to, to latch on to something. And the oi, oi, oi is, is something that, you know, what else have they got? I mean, it's football. You know, what is, what is the culture of this country? It's not first people's culture. It's this culture that's been made up. And when I came out, so I was elected in, on November 18 last year. And so the 26th of January came around really quickly. And when I spoke truths about 26th of January and what that meant for our people, my office had to go into lockdown and I had serious threats to my safety and my children's safety and to have police involved in Parliament were like, oh my goodness, what do we do here? So it was a, um, it was a rude awakening to have the, so much racism and, and violent threats, sexual violent threats. But I just think that, you know, with more conversations about the, the true history, that we, we all can be proud of where we come from and celebrate where we come from. And I yeah, well, what, what do you do about that? You just gotta to continue to educate people. My daughter goes to a school, a public school in my electorate, Thornbury Primary School, it's the only school that teaches Wewarung language of the Wurundji people. And all of the kids learn that. They all learn the first people's history. They talk about stolen generation. Every child, no matter what their background is, has an understanding and appreciation of each other as human beings and they respect the land that they're on. So, I, you know, that's that's how we need to um, live in, in all societies. I wonder your thoughts on that in terms of the, I guess, what we would call the progressive movements. We touched on it briefly, talking about the environment movement about the progressive movement and the left and the challenges that we have to actually change the way we do things, to actually allow that kind of intersectionality and that diversity within our own movements and respect the fact that we have to be able to call our privilege amongst ourselves as well. So when I became a politician, I, get, I got called all these lefty things. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm actually not. I don't see myself as that. I'm an Aboriginal woman, first and foremost. I mean, if that's what you want to label me, then that's fine, but this has just always been my responsibility. And I think, you know, we need to probably rise above the lefts and the rights and, and meet, some, you know, meet in a space where this is about our future and about our children's future. And that's just how we operate as black girls and how we've maintained this country for thousands of years, thousands of generations, is from that simple you know, um, value of, of valuing our Mother Earth and, and valuing each other as human beings. So I think that we can shift people, but I think that we need to stop labelling it as left and right and go from what has worked here for thousands of years, and that is from an Aboriginal perspective, from an Aboriginal lens, and that is we just have to care for, for each other in this country. Obviously, standing up and speaking out and doing what you do isn't easy. You mentioned the attacks around Australia Day, you know, like, let's be frank about it, being a politician can be really kind of full on and tough in terms of putting yourself out there. Being a woman in politics can be tough. Being a non-white woman in politics can be even tougher. 
being someone that stands up and says views that aren't fitting with the mainstream can be even tougher. I like to think that um, I've really come to understand the idea of what allies are, partly because there's just less people that look like me or are like me in the world that I'm working in at the moment. And I want to do a kind of shout out to Jamie Parker because I think that if I was to give a definition of an ally when I got elected, it was Jamie. And it happened about four weeks into us having sat in the chamber and there was this crazy blow up about the idea of blaming Chinese folks for the affordable housing crisis in New South Wales. And it all got really vicious and really racist. Jamie had been in that parliament for four years He'd just been re-elected. I'd been in there for four weeks, maybe. And he said, he sat there, his there is taking the He sat there and he said, there's going to be a debate. You should speak. And I was like, like, I seriously, I just like got over the idea of speaking generally, like with a whole lot of notes and shit. Like, it's scary once you go back in there. Once you go in there. He's like, you should speak. He's like, this is what's going to happen. And he sat there and he knew that if it looked like he was telling me what to do, that I would be eaten alive by them all. And so he did it in the most subtle way, and I will never forget. He said, write, write it down. He said, you're going to stand up, and everyone is going to yell at you. And you just have to keep your voice down, and you're going to want to yell back, but don't because you've got a microphone. And he said, write down what you're going to say. You're going to be fine. It's good. He knew it was right for me to be the one to stand up. Most other people, let's be frank about it, most other very confident, experienced white men politicians would believe I can do a better job than you. But he knew that on that issue at that time, he could empower me and give me the tips without anyone seeing it, and I got up there and I smashed it. It was great. But I would have lost my shit had it not been for Jamie Stanley kind of writing the notes into a new thing. To me, that is what an ally does, right? I don't know if I've actually ever told that story to Jamie, but he's there to get to hear it. So, so I think, to me, the idea of allies are important. And it doesn't, it's not the kind of front-facing, oh, I'm going to kind of do it. It's the behind-the-scenes stuff. I wonder, who are the people that, how does that work for you? How do you feel like you've got that support? Where does it exist? And, you know, how do you kind of feel like the allies that are there that are backing you outside of your own community? Has that grown? Where does that come from? And do you need more of it? And how can we help? Uh, well, certainly my Greens colleagues, you know, they're amazing. And um, we have seven women and one man in our party room. So we don't worry about gender balance. <laughs> um, and, you know, we just, we're just a really amazing um, group of people. And in that group, we've got the first Aboriginal woman in the Victorian Parliament. We've got the first Vietnamese woman in the Victorian Parliament and the first Sri Lankan woman in the Victorian Parliament. So, like, yeah, we're really leading the way in that space. Um, but to have, you know, the member, the member for Melbourne, Alan Sandal, on one side and the member for Paran, um, Sam Timmons, on the other, has been really amazing. Like, yeah, it's good to have those two on each side of me. And there's still there's a couple of people on both sides of um, politics also yeah. that give me tips. Yeah. Checking in with the the blacktivists is what I'm calling them now. Like Aunty Jenny and um, is is the people that I value most in terms of making sure that. I'm still doing the right thing and I'm saying the right thing and I'm not, you know, 
starting to sell our people out, which is what happens sometimes, and I just want to be um, kept in check. Yeah, cool, thank you. What do you consider to be your greatest social justice achievement and why? So I, I think treaty is, is quite an achievement so far, even though we haven't got there. It's, it's you know, something that we walked out of Uluru for <laughs> and stirred up, you know, the national conversation that we're going down a constitutional recognition path. And now Victoria, you know, and Labor are going to claim it because they always claim Greens things. That's okay as long as it happens, but as long as it happens the right way. And I think that's, you know, Victoria has a real opportunity to guide and, and have, it, have, have the model for a real treaty. And I just hope that they don't blow it. Yeah, I, I think walking out of Uluru changed it in terms of um, getting back to your question and where, you know, the whole country is talking about a treaty now. And so in 10 years' time, when you look back, what do you want your answer to that question to be? Um, I think that a treaty should end the war end the suffering of our people. So in 10 years' time, I don't want to see 2,000 children in Victoria in our home care. I don't want to see the incarceration rates of my people skyrocketing. And I don't want to see the continued destruction in our environment. And I think that treaty is a mechanism to stop all of those things. Thank you. I think one of the things we're doing with the treaty discussion at the moment is making a fatal error in our judgment. I think we have to first concentrate on the Bill of Rights in this country. I think New South Wales Greens and Victorian Greens can push the feds for a Bill of Rights, a National Bill of Rights that guarantees everybody's rights and that in turn will guarantee our rights under the treaty. I just want to tell you about uh, just shortly what happened up there. The first time I've seen leadership like that for about 20 years. The mob of us that went to Yalara, and uh, it wasn't Uluru, it was Yalara. Uh, the Dubai delegation went up with the no vote. We got there, we discovered that the, the, the Victorian and the Canberra uh, vote was also a no vote. We run into a brick wall up there, trying to express our, our, our mandate. And um, suffice to say that with the, the kicking out of NITV because they crossed the line according to these people up there and they were the only media that was barred from that whole program up there uh, because they stood strong. And uh, they became a part of our, our, uh, our situation up there. However, when we tried so hard against this brick wall, this young woman uh, was there with us and she said, well, kind of thing, do you mind if I have a go? And it was Lydia. And she stood up, and let me remind you, Lydia was born into a, 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 a massive political body in, in Victoria, you know? From a grandmother, Annie Alma, to a mother, to all her brothers and sisters, and we had the pleasure of being in the United Nations in Geneva with Annie Alma, who led the um, National Health uh, Organization there in 1984. Lydia got up, she raised her hands, uh, amidst this quagmire of, of denial and uh, denying our voice and uh, she asked a question she was very gracious she was very humble 
and her presentation was beautiful and we simply decided if Lydia can't get past the microphone, we will walk. And that's simply what we did. Lydia got up there in all her graciousness and her intelligence and she addressed that brick wall and um, that brick wall persisted. So we simply got up and we simply walked. And that's a testament to the leadership of this young woman. She walked out of Yolara into the parliament in Victoria. And I think I'm at the verge of changing my political thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I usually walk into the polling booths and just get the form and go and put it in without even uh, scribbling on it, not even my name. But I think this time, yeah, I think I have a political alliance here with our niece. Her, her, um, her effort up there was so brave and amidst all that shit that came out of that place up there, you know, there was us three groups, you know, and 20 of us, in particular seven of us, that stifled that uh, righteous campaign of recognition, you know, and by doing that, we opened the, the floor to all the other issues that I'm afraid the voice that came out of your room is not truly representative of what's going on. And that was a recording of um, a, an event in Redfern. It was a Greens event. And there were lots of things discussed there. But just to summarise very quickly, it was basically Lydia Thorpe, Greens MP from Northcote, an Aboriginal activist in conversation with Jenny Ling, who is the MP for Newtown of the Greens. And there, were also, there was also Auntie Jenny Munro um, who spoke and also and contributed to the discussion and other Aboriginal elders and discussion from other Greens members. Most enlightening, and we're going to be continuing our discussion shortly with an interview with Vicky Roach, and she's going to be speaking about sovereignty.